Thanks so much for finding us here at the Morning Glory Project. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbender, and my co-producer, Angela Washington, and I are ever so proud and honored to bring the stories of amazing people to you. These are survivors, thrivers, innovators, and trailblazers who tell us not just their stories, but how they got through whatever they got through to get to where they are. We hope you find them as inspiring as we do. Thanks so much for listening and for giving us the honor of your time. Jess Ayers and her husband, Justin, had a storybook romance. In love since their teens and married shortly after, the two shared not only a love bond, but a musical synergy as well, touring the country together in a band that they shared, making their music that they created together as songwriters and performers. And after 10 years of marriage, Jess wanted to settle down and add to her family, leaving Justin to continue in music. They brought their baby boy, Jax, home from the hospital in 2014, and with loved ones there to meet with the new arrival, no one could have imagined the life-changing event that would occur in mere seconds. From the house of a neighbor, a convicted felon with no rights to have a gun, 200 yards away came a stray bullet that dodged every tree, entered their house, and hit Justin where he stood. There, with her three-day-old son, Jess watched her baby's father and her beloved husband and music partner die before her eyes. Through the shock, grief, and profound loss, Jess needed to build a life different than she'd planned for herself and her son. She shifted her focus from songwriting to grief blogging, by launching her blog, The Singing Widow. Her blog continues to reach people all over the world, and in 2017 and 2018, the site was awarded Top Widow Blog by Feedspot. Jess, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story with me and with our listeners. I know that parts of this story are difficult, and I so appreciate your being here. Hi, thank you so much, can you go back in time a bit and tell me about your life before June 17th of 2014? Basically, our life in 2014, we were um, we were living a pretty average life at that time, I would say. We were settling down um, after years of touring and uh, making music and living that, we called it that rock star life. Um, <laughs> we decided we were ready to settle down and have a child and... Um, I started working with my husband at a local music store where he taught music lessons. And so we kind of ran this, uh, it was a store that was downtown and the two of us ran this store together. And while I grew our child <laughs> and we prepared for parenthood, um, and that was really kind of how life was. Justin was playing on a, a softball league. You were settling down, preparing for a more family-friendly life. <laughs> yes, yes. We we still had our band and I sang um, on, you know, on a stage in a full band until I was eight and a half months pregnant. And then we planned to continue that after we had the child, but um, I planned to take a major step back and let him really just kind of continue his dream of music. And I was going to be more kind of stay home mom and supportive um, partner. And that's kind of how life was when everything changed. And it 
all changed in just a single day. Can you tell me about that day? It was really our first day home, I guess, from the hospital because we had come home the evening before, um, but we had only spent one night home. And the next day we were just getting adjusted. Uh, We had family coming over, my family and Justin's family. They were to come over for the happiest of events to meet the new baby. To meet the new baby, yes. It was going to be just kind of like everyone, let's knock everyone out. Everyone can come in the house and and meet, meet the new baby all at once. And then we don't have to deal with people stopping by, you know, over the next week. So that was really the plans. Um, and a few people were already there, um, three people and me and Justin and the baby. So they were coming all at one time to kind of get it all over with together. Mm-hmm. So I've been saying that your life changed in a day, but really it changed in an instant. Would you be willing to tell me about that instant? Um, I had just taken a nap because I had a 22-hour labor uh, with Jax in the hospital. I had also had major tearing. Um, I had a retained placenta where they had to spend two hours basically ripping it out of me. It was (laughs) very traumatic. So I had to have 79 stitches. Um, I was exhausted. I was on basically no sleep and um, I was on pain meds because I had had so much trauma, physical trauma. And so I had tried to lay down for a nap and I remember I didn't really fall asleep, but um, I was kind of texting one of my best friends who her birthday was the day prior and so she was always like, oh, maybe Jax will be born on my birthday. Um, so he was born a couple days before her birthday. But I remember texting her. She was one of the last people I texted. And I came out and my uh, Justin's cousin was holding Jax in the recliner. And we were all just sitting around. It was me and Justin and his aunt um, and his stepmom. And we were preparing for the other people to come over and it was time to go get the food. Like we had ordered some food and his aunt said, I got to go get the food. It's, you know, whatever time it was, it was like six o'clock or something. People are going to be here in 30 minutes. I got to go get the food. And uh, Justin was sitting beside me on the couch and he stood to his feet and he said, I'll go with you. And we heard a noise and that was basically when he was killed just kind of happened in the middle of a conversation. I I like to say it happened in the middle of a conversation about fried chicken. Like it was the most bizarre circumstance anyone could imagine. So here you are doing this achingly normal thing, getting food for your guests to come over to celebrate your baby's arrival. And Justin stands to volunteer to fetch the food and he's suddenly shot though you didn't know that in the moment, I'm gathering. Where the hell did the bullet come from? It came through the window. Uh, We did not know it was a bullet at first. We did not know what had happened. It was nothing but confusion because we heard a noise. Um, And basically, I know it sounds weird, but we all thought like it sounded to us like a light bulb that kind of blows. A popping noise? Yeah, it was a popping noise. And, um, you know, the second I heard the noise, I looked to my baby 
you know, where's my baby, you know, and he was okay. And then, um, I heard Justin's aunt yell, Oh my God, Justin. And, um, I turned and he was on the floor and that was when we realized you still don't know what happened. You're still completely confused, but that's the moment when we realized something, some bad, something bad has just occurred. Um, so we were very, very frantic, obviously in that moment. Um, my, the other family members that were there thought we were under fire. So we thought we were being like a drive-by shooting or something. So we were all crawling around on the ground. Um, you know, we weren't walking around or anything. We were all just kind of like ducking cover, like you're under fire, you know? Um, and it was just complete chaos. Just this is such an unimaginable experience. And not only would be, would it be traumatic to lose your love at any time really, but to lose him so senselessly. And just when you've welcomed your son into the world and while you're still in the throes of recovering from a really difficult labor, I'm just so sorry that this happened to you and your family. Can you talk a little bit about how you coped, how you endured through such a bizarre and difficult experience? I got through it one moment at a time. Um, I was not well for a while. Um, I obviously had a responsibility to my child. And so I felt like in that moment I had nothing left to really care for, even though I had just had this child. I almost resented him because, you know, I, I lost my husband and now I have this child. And it was almost like, why did I have to trade one for the other? In one of our earlier conversations before this recorded one, Jess, and, I, and though it's been many months since we had that conversation, one thing still really lingers in my mind that you told me, and that was that everything was so overwhelming that your focus got really small following Justin's death and, and that you decided that the one and only thing you could actually do was nurse your child. Right, exactly. It just felt that way. You know, it felt like well, you know, I, I hated God, you know, why did you give me this gift and then take away my support? And, you know, me and Justin had been together since I was 14 years old. You know, I basically grew up and fell in love with this boy and we had gone through so much together and gotten so far in life and just really worked hard and to just have it all taken away in that one second um, it just felt just completely um, hopeless. You're clearly such a strong, smart, bold woman who doesn't strike me as somebody who's passive about her life plans. And it sounds like you had made a bunch of choices that would set you and your family up for what would be regarded as a pretty lovely life. I guess that's where the expression best laid plans comes in. Yeah, I really felt um, I was one of those moms um, who I, I was going to have a non-medicated birth. And of course, I ended up having an epidural, but I, you know, I was like really into it. I'm going to only breastfeed, you know, nothing against moms who choose not to. But it was just something I felt really strongly about. And the night of Justin's death, I wanted to give up on breastfeeding. Um, it wasn't because he wasn't taking to it. It was just the fact that he 
just cried and it was all on me and it just felt like too much. And um, I almost gave up on it. You know, this is the point at which many of us listening to a story like yours might put ourselves into the circumstances that you were in and wonder if we would just give up on everything. Lots of people might want to just crawl into a hole and give up on life. Yes, I I wanted to use Justin's death as an excuse to quit. You know, it was the perfect opportunity for me to say, hell with what I had planned. I want to go, you know, lay in a bedroom in the dark and get wasted all day, you know, or whatever I wanted to do. Who knows? You just wanted to escape. Exactly. Um, but for whatever reason, I just had this, um, it was almost like an epiphany. And I think it kind of happens to us in our really, really dark moments where we, we kind of see, you know, the future. And it was like, I saw myself in the future and I saw this person that my husband would not be proud of and not the mom that I had intended to be. And I knew that if I let go of the nursing, I would let go of way too many other things and I would give up too much of myself for this grief. In this epiphany, you, it sounds like you saw yourself in a future that you saw that you could become somebody you didn't want to be. Am I getting this right? That somehow through the decision to stay true to that one intention you held to nurse your child, that this was kind of an anchor decision for you because what it was something that was within your power and that you felt like it was a promise you'd made to yourself, to your child, to, to Justin. Yes. It felt like the one thing I had control over and I also felt like there is not one other person in this world that can provide this child with this one need except for me. And so it gave me a purpose. It gave me a purpose to wake up and breathe every day was to nurse my child. And that was kind of how I changed the narrative on that. You know, I've never liked the idea or even the words about getting over grief or moving on from it. Um, those just don't feel possible to me. I don't know how you get over something like this. I like to use the word move forward. So tell me about life after that. You got through the trauma of that moment. And then, of course, there was also dealing with the fellow who had been the one with the gun. I hate the word neighbor in this case, but that's what this is. The fellow that shouldn't have had the gun that did. And then your subsequent life. Tell me about that. Yes. And just to um, clarify, he actually was, was squatting in the home behind us. So he, it was a relative of his and he knew that it was unoccupied. So he was living there illegally. Mm. We did all, also, I like to tell people that we did not live in a bad neighborhood uh, people usually assume like, oh, she must have lived in like the ghetto or something. And no, we actually lived on a nice street with a lot of families. It was just, you know, a, a weird circumstance with that. Well, and, and that's also to say, too, that, you know, whatever kind of neighborhood we might live in, that that guns mishandled inappropriately or in the hands of those who shouldn't have them for whatever legal or psychological reasons 
can be dangerous, whatever kind of home you live in. Absolutely. Or whatever kind of environment you're in. Yeah, we had to deal with the, um, with the trial. Um, uh, we actually never went to trial, but we had to deal with all the pre-trial situations. And um, we ended up settling for a plea deal uh, because obviously there's so many technicalities when it comes to, you know, even arresting someone where you have full on proof that this was the person. And we were really worried about him getting off. So we ended up settling for a plea deal. Um, and so we never actually had a trial, but I did go to his sentencing and face him in court. So rather than try him for murder or manslaughter or whatever it might have been and risk him going free, you took a plea deal so that he would then, and what was the result of that? Um, he got 16 years, um, which isn't nearly enough, but at his age, I think he was 63 at the time. Um, we figured it was pretty much a life sentence for him. He was in, he looked like he was, you know, he was a meth addict too. So he didn't look like he was, um, going to live there, you know, too much longer. Yeah. Of course, when we saw him versus the day he was arrested, he was much healthier because now he was in prison and eating and off drugs. So that was just kind of how we looked at it. And what I really didn't want to do is drag my child through the court systems, all these, you know, different dates. I mean, we would probably still be dealing with it today had we not moved forward with that decision. So the, the squatter with the gun went to jail. That's a good thing. And then tell me how your life progressed. The second morning glory story. (laughs) Yes. So, um, I got involved with music again, Um, And I started touring with a band. Um, I kind of went through it. I call it my um, my rebellious widow phase (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I was kind of like, oh, I've never been single and I've never been, you know, so I was on tour with this band. I was kind of went through a partying phase, I guess you could call it. Um, My mom toured with me a lot um, and always brought Jax with me. And so he was always well cared for. And, um, I started dating and, you know, I probably started dating maybe 18, maybe it was 16 months later. And at first it wasn't that I really wanted anything serious. It was just that I had never been single before and I was interested. You'd known your husband since you were 14. You were, you were first loves, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, I wanted to see what it was like to date. And I thought I was still relatively young enough and, you know, not in terrible shape. Um, And so I was like, I'm going to try to be a woman here, you know, and um, I kind of liked dating. It was kind of weird, but um, kind of liked it. And, (laughs) and um, I started seeing this guy that I actually knew prior because we used to work together. Um, we were just acquaintances, not even really friends. He was just kind of somebody that he was a bartender. Uh, we both worked at a Margaritaville, um, (laughs) locally. And I was a server. He was a bartender and I always thought he was just the nicest guy. I always thought he was, you know, good looking. Um, but I was always married and he was just somebody I kind of knew and thought. So you didn't tune into him in that way? No, I always thought, you know, he's going to make some, some girl really, really happy one day, Mm. you know? And I remember thinking that about him. And I remember one of the girls he was with kind of broke his heart and I was all mad about it. Like, how dare she? He's such a great guy. 
so anyway, that's just kind of our history. And, um, yeah, he ended up getting his heart broken by another girl he was seeing that he had actually been in a serious relationship with and a mutual friend of ours. Um, I had been seeing another guy and he was not panning out to be the guy I thought he was. And she's like, well, guess, guess who's single. (laughs) And she told me about (laughs) Don. And so I was like, well, I need to go out with him. You know, he's just cute and he's, seems like a nice guy. She's like, yeah, he seems like the perfect guy for you. So we went out on a date and he did not waste any time. You know, he immediately <laughs> asked me out because we kind of went on a group date um, with our friends and um, asked me out immediately, you know, immediately started texting me and he was very, um, what's the word? I wouldn't say forward because he was a gentleman, but he was very aggressive and wanting to go out with me, you know, <laughs> he pursued you with ardor. Let's, let's put it in, yes. in you know, Bronte sisters language or something. <laughs> he pursued you passionately. Yes. Yes. He definitely pursued me passionately. And I kind of, in the beginning of our relationship, I looked at Don as kind of my escape from my widowed life. Um, even though he had actually previously met Justin because our band had played at Margaritaville. He didn't know him. And so we never talked about that. Uh, we would go on dates and it wasn't like we talked about me being widowed, even though I knew he knew I was widowed. It was really kind of nice to just be able to be a, a, a woman. Um, to be a woman again and not just a widow. Yeah. Just to feel like, okay, I'm not just this tragic story. Everybody wants to talk about. Mm. And he was very romantic and, um, you know, did all the right things, said all the right things. And, um, yeah, he wanted a relationship with me, like a serious relationship with me way sooner than I wanted a serious relationship with him. You were still sort of like, I I never got to date. I'm doing this. Yeah, exactly. I was enjoying kind of, you know, I'm going to not be locked. I don't need to be locked down already, you know? (laughs) And, you know, I was also still madly in love with Justin and it didn't seem fair to try to, you know, navigate and, you know, falling in love again while my heart belonged to someone else. But clearly you did. (laughs) Something turned. Yeah. And Don began, he became a new flower in the garden of your heart, right? Yeah. Don was so patient with me. I think that that was, I, I talked to a lot of widows through my Instagram page and a lot of them were so curious about my relationship with Don, you know, especially the ones that are in this kind of new relationship territory. And, you know, I just think like, uh, if you're going to be with someone who lost, you know, the love of their life, you're going to have to be so understanding and so patient. And Don was both of those. Well, I have to tell you, as many times as I've thought about you and thought about your story and we talked before, I never put this particular strange little piece together, but I'm Dawn. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because my husband was widowed with a young child. Wow. And he, my, who became my son through, through adoption, marrying him. And I had to step in. I mean, my husband asked me out, so it was a little bit reverse. I I wasn't the pursuer, but I I needed to move really patiently, not only with my husband, with but with Max, 
So you've got Jackson, I've got Max. Oh, we've got that. I had to move really patiently too because I was the newcomer, but I was stepping into the shoes of someone else, of someone taken too soon, and I wanted to hold both the memory of her and my presence in the same space. And I never wanted her to, I never wanted to compete with that or, or do away with it. So uh, Don and I should, we should have a cocktail together sometime <laughs> at some point. Cause totally. it was sort of a similar, um, I, I can't believe I didn't put that together until just now that you're saying it. So you and Don, uh, eventually you fell in love, you've gotten married, and then you decided to add to your family. Now, in a, just a short time that we have left, tell me, tell me the abbreviated version of what you guys went through to have your new one. And you, as we're taping this now in the spring of 2022, tell me about who's sitting in your chair. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently 27 weeks pregnant with a baby girl. Um, and this was not an easy journey for us. We got married in 2018 and immediately started trying to have a child and it was not happening for us um, and ended up doing a lot of testing here and there. Um, a quick note too, I got pregnant with Jax basically right off of birth control first try. So I never expected to have infertility issues. In fact, I told Don, I'm really fertile, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> lo and behold, that was not the case. So yeah, I had to deal with secondary infertility. Um, and I've, we've gone through a lot. We've gone through surgery. I have had to have surgery, two different surgeries. Um, we went through a miscarriage, um, and then we went through IVF and now we're expecting. So it's been a long journey to get here. <laughs> That's a long journey. Well, we, you and I have another parallel there too, because I always thought I would be fertile myrtle as my sisters would call it. And when, and we conceived right away um, when we wanted to have our second child and then lost that pregnancy as well. Then it, I did not have infertility issues after that. There were other complications, but, um, but you and I have uh, unlikely parallels I'm, I'm hearing in a way, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I'm not saying this to put me into your story, but to say that I think that when you tell your story, like you have on your blog in your songs, perhaps in your life, that other people that you didn't even know had lost a child or didn't know had infertility issues or didn't know it was widowed. All of a sudden their stories connect to your story. And isn't that a beautiful thing <laughs> that we find community in one another? Absolutely. And, you know, and I find so much, you know, comfort in sharing and then connecting with others who then share back with me, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's such a, um, the infertility community, I would say the widowed community is it's man, it's a tough community. Um, and the, the infertility community, you know, is so supportive. I'm not saying the widow community isn't, it's just different. Um, mm -hmm. because the infertility community is like, we're all going to get through this. And, you know, we're, there's, there's kind of like an, an active thing that you're pursuing, you know, in widowhood, it's just grief and trying to get, get through it. But with infertility, it's like, we're warriors and, you know, well, and with you're sharing resources and tactics and doctors and methods and information and mm -hmm. all of that, yes. there's, there's stuff to do, right. Yes. Rather than just sort of living with the loss. Exactly. Yeah. Well, 
Jess, you you are such a delight, and I'm so glad that we finally resumed our conversation. I invite you to listeners to tune in to what Jess puts out. Now, are you still doing your blog or is it something that just kind of lives out there and people are still finding you? I still do it. I don't do it as much as I should because I devote so much time to my social media pages, but yeah. There's no should here. <laughs> There's no should. <laughs> uh, the sharing of your story. So the, so you can find your blog at, is it thesingingwidow.com? Yes. So at thesingingwidow.com. So those who have endured loss, I think can find comfort there and also find some fabulous stories that you share. I'm so honored by your story and honored by your determination to find joy, to find love, to show love to your first husband, to your second and to your child and your one to come. I wish you a most beautiful journey in the welcoming of this child. And I can tell you from my own experience that having a child from one marriage and then having a gap of time and having a second child that my two sons who are 11 and a half years apart are brothers. They adore each other. And what's nice about having them that far apart is they never had to fight over the same toys. So they didn't have competition. <laughs> I've heard and, that. Yes. <laughs> and so, so I wish you every kind of joy in this next uh, new branch of your family tree. Thank you so much. You know, a few things strike me in my conversations with Jess Ayers. And one is just the weird randomness that can sometimes bring us trauma or loss or tragedy. You know, just sitting in your living room, somebody heading out for chicken. I'll go with you. And we have these walls around us and this safety that we try to create in our world. And many times that works and sometimes it doesn't. That random car accident, that strange shooter that comes into a movie theater or shoots somebody through their living room wall or the cancer diagnosis nobody expected. All kinds of things can happen. And, and you know, we, have, we walk around with this illusion of control. <laughs> and that's a comforting thing. I, I like my control. It's my drug of choice. And sometimes it's good to remember that it's an illusion, that we don't get to choose everything in life. That's one thing that pops out. The second thing that strikes me about Jess's story is that she wanted to give up. There was part of her that wanted to give up, but that there was one thing that pulled her back. That epiphany, she calls it. I like to call them epiphanets. <laughs> they happen just in a split second sometimes. That epiphany that, you know, if I give up, I'm not, I, I can look into the future and see that I would not be the person that my husband would have been proud that I am, is how she put it. And the one thing she could do was nurse this baby. So while our circumstances may and likely are very different than Jess's, when we feel like giving up, sometimes there's just that one thing we can do, that one little glimpse into why or how we should do something different than just folding it up, quitting, stopping, done, out, exit, stage left. 
And you know, some people don't find that. Some people exit into into addiction, into depression, into suicide. They end their lives because they don't have that moment or they don't respond to that moment of, you know, I can't do everything to change this. This agony is horrible, but there's one thing I can do. And the third thing that comes to my mind in my conversation with Jess is how when we tell our stories, we find other people with little pieces of theirs that connect to ours. That's how we weave this web together, how we connect to each other. I have said on this program many times that storytelling is my notion of church, my religion that I think that in sharing our stories that we can connect to each other. And notice, honestly, I've been pursuing Jess as a guest for a long time, and I did not see the parallels in her life and mine, and yet there are many of them. Though on the surface, our lives look very different. She lives in the panhandle of Florida, and I live in California. I'm 30 years her senior. I have a different profession, a different appearance, a different everything from her. And yet when she tells her story, I find pieces of mine. I think that happens a lot. Even when there aren't events that we share, we find similarities. (sighs) Thanks so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project. I'm honored that you would give us just a bit of your time. And I hope that this little story helps you to tell your story and that that helps you and your listener find your ways to bloom.